Maybe a little dramatic this morning, right? <laughs> well, I hope that those bells and that ticking of the clock and the heartbeat creates a little angst or a, maybe a feeling of, of urgency in your life. Um, this morning, it's great to be with you, though, to uh, open God's word and to see what it has to say for us. I'm uh, Grady Adkins, I'm the executive pastor and head of Coram Deo Academy. And uh, first I'd like to thank Pastor Rob for uh, allowing me the opportunity to uh, preach this morning. It's always so very humbling to get up here in front of all of you. But thank you to uh, Pastor Rob for that. And I don't know about you, but uh, as Pastor Rob has been preaching on uh, the book of Revelation and pe preaching through that, I've been thinking about eternity uh, more and more, uh, just more than I normally do. And then you couple that with, with all that's going on around the world with, with Israel with uh, the societal drift away from God and the, the drift away from the truth of Scripture and, and just truth in general, it gives me pause. It makes me wonder just how close are we to the return of Christ? And though we know from Matthew 24 that we don't actually know the day and the hour of his return, it sure does feel like it's getting closer these days. And that cre creates a sense of urgency in me to tell others about Christ, the truth of Scripture, all the more. Because when, when the end comes, whether by Christ's return or our own passing, we'll never again be able to talk with a lost person. We won't be able to shake their hand half a cup of coffee, offer assistance, tell them we love them, show them the love that God has for them. And since that's true, I mean, reaching the lost while we still have breath in our lungs, this side of heaven should become our priority because eternity is at stake and time is of the essence. So this morning, my desire is to encourage you to take advantage of the time that you have right now to share the hope that you have in Christ Jesus because time is of the essence. And I'm gonna do that this morning by looking at the instruction that the Apostle Paul gives us in the book of Romans. And if you need a copy of God's word, you can just get the attention of the ushers as they come down the aisle. They would be happy to put that in your hand. And we're gonna look at Romans specifically chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. And as I just stated, Romans, it was written by the Apostle Paul sometime about 25 years after the death and resurrection of Christ and also during his third missionary journey. The purpose of Romans his purpose to write it was to teach about the law and faith and salvation and righteous living. And Romans is rich. It's so rich with theological teachings. Now, leading up to verse 13 that we're looking at this morning, 
Paul has laid out the pathway for salvation among other things, that, that we're all sinners and the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life because Christ died for us. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, is Lord and believe in our heart that he, God raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. The pathway to salvation. Which brings us to the text this morning, starting with Romans 10, verse 13. Uh, go ahead and look at that with me. After proclaiming God's pathway for salvation, he writes in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now this verse, it serves as the foundation this morning because it's about salvation. The only way to heaven is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. In verse 13, we see that salvation is for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Another way to say that is salvation is for those who embrace the gospel wholeheartedly. And that's the first point this morning. Embrace the gospel wholeheartedly. Because anyone and everyone who embraces the gospel will be saved. As Paul said right there in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation, it's offered to everyone. It's true. And leading up to this point, uh, Paul goes to great length to explain that because the Jewish nation at this time believed that they were the only ones who were offered salvation. If you go back to verses 11 and 12, we will see that Paul clearly articulates that salvation is not only for the Jew, but also the Gentile. Gentile being defined as every other nationality other than Jews. Because if you're not Jewish... You're a Gentile. And salvation wherefore was for both. But Paul is not saying, nor am I articulating, that everyone will call on the name of the Lord and be saved. No, salvation's offered to everyone, but only those who confess with their mouth and believe with their heart are saved. So I'm going to get a little bit English language nerdy on you this morning a bit. Uh, I was an English major in college. That was a long time ago. I'm not the best at it anymore. But uh, if you look at the very first word in verse 13, four, F-O-R, not the number four, but four. Typically, four is a preposition, but here it serves as something else. Here the word four is used as a conjunction. And a conjunction connects sentences or phrases together. So we have to stop and take a look to what exactly is verse 13 connected. And that takes us all the way back to verse 9, which says, If you confess and believe that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So everyone means salvation is for anyone who calls on the Lord. Again, connecting that verse to nine, to call on the Lord means to confess and believe. Another way of saying that is salvation is 
believing with your heart for all the Lord has done for you and giving expression with your mouth by confessing him as Lord. It's not only a head belief, it's not only head knowledge, it's heart knowledge as well. To embrace the gospel wholeheartedly. And think about that word embrace for just a second. Embrace, it's, it's, it's how you greet a close friend or a loved one that you haven't seen in quite a while, like you're, you're reconnecting and you just can't wait. You, you embrace them. And automatically, I think of those military homecoming videos where a spouse or a father or a mother sees that loved one for the very first time. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Check this out. Those embraces, they come from the heart. Did you hear that little girl? Oh, daddy, I'm coming. Man, makes me cry just thinking about it. But they don't simply have a head knowledge, a head belief of who that person is. They have a heart knowledge. Like, like they're full of love and joy and hope and compassion. Without that person at their side, they're incomplete. They're not whole. And the same is true with Christ. Embrace Jesus wholeheartedly. Embrace the gospel wholeheartedly and be saved. And I need to take a moment before we move on to clearly articulate from what are we saved? Because uh, all too often, we don't take the time to think about that very thing. We nonchalantly say, I'm saved, Jesus saved me, but from what are we saved? We're saved from the consequences of our sin because Christ paid for our sin with his own life. Death on the cross, the death of him who knew no sin. And those consequences are both temporal and eternal. Temporal in the fact that uh, if you embrace the gospel, if you embrace Christ, you will be spared from the consequences of living sinfully right here and now on this earth. Because you believe in him, 
and follow him rather than yourself. Maybe consequences like despair and guilt and heartache and and judgment, sometimes lasting for generations. Oh, but that's nothing compared to the eternal consequence of separation from God, hell. That's the answer to what you're saved from. And I could preach a whole message about eternal separation from God, but thankfully I don't have to do so because Pastor Rob already did. Thanks, P. Rob. In fact, uh, if you would like to check out uh, a couple of those just from this very year, the book of Revelation, you can uh, go to our website, go on the sermons tab, and uh, click on the search bar, type in the titles that you see there on the screen or the dates, and, uh, and you will find those. But for now, know this, Christ saved us from the consequence of eternal separation from God. And that's something of which you want no part, that eternal separation. You want no part of that because there will be no hope, no light, no relief, but rather excruciating pain, constant suffering, complete darkness forever, eternally. And I don't think our minds can quite comprehend just how long eternity actually is. So let me give you maybe a feeble illustration to help get to that point. So imagine with me for a second, imagine a bird on the beach and that bird is sitting there and it takes one tiny piece of grain of sand and puts it in its beak. And then that bird lifts off in flight and it flies. Here's where it gets strange all the way to the sun. Obviously, the regular laws of life don't apply in this illustration, but it flies all the way to the sun and it takes that grain of sand and it drops it off at the sun, turns around and it flies back all the way to earth. And when it gets here, it takes one more grain of sand, puts it in its beak, flies off all the way to the sun, drops it off, turns around, comes all the way back to earth. And then it does that time after time after time again until all sand is removed from the face of the earth. Imagine how long that would be. And that's the end of the first day in eternity. That helps just a little bit. Put that length of eternity into perspective. But more importantly, it helps create a sense of urgency to tell others about Christ, because I don't want anyone to suffer for that long, eternally, especially those whom I know and love, who are my friends and coworkers, people with whom I interact, because if a person doesn't know Christ with both their head and their heart, if they don't embrace the gospel wholeheartedly, eternity will be all the more longer. So church, We, as believers, we have to understand that time is of the essence because once we take our last breath, this side of heaven will no longer be able to tell unbelievers about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We won't be able to help them embrace the gospel wholeheartedly. And the apostle Paul, 
he articulates as much. Look with me again at the text, starting in verse 4 now, or 14. Uh, in verse 14, Paul begins a series of, of questions. Let's look at those questions. Verse 14, he says, How then will they call on him who ha they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now, through these series of rhetorical questions, Paul shows the great need to preach the gospel and to do so boldly. And that's the second point this morning. Preach the gospel boldly. Paul uses these questions to emphasize the priority of evangelism, to tell others about the saving work of Christ. So let's get a little bit English uh, language nerdy again uh, for just a second, because if we track the root verb in those, four, uh, in those questions, starting with verse 14, you'll actually find five verbs. The first one, look with me, the first one is call, then believe, then hear, then preach, and then the fifth one, send. Now, if you actually put those verbs in reverse order, we start to see the story that Paul is trying to tell, to tell, what he articulates. So let's take a look at that. Are you ready? In reverse order. Follow with me. Christ sends witnesses. Witnesses preach. People hear. Hearers believe. Believers call, and those people who call are saved. Unless witnesses are sent, the good news of Christ will not be announced. If the good news of Christ is not announced, then no one will hear. If no one hears, then no one will believe. And if no one believes, they won't call on the Lord to be saved. Therefore, it's essential to be a witness for Christ and proclaim the gospel boldly. And this isn't simply a job that's reserved for pastors or, or missionaries. It's the responsibility of all who believe. We should become a witness. And our motivation for preaching the gospel shouldn't simply be out of responsibility. Like, I have to do this. No, we do it because we have embraced the gospel wholeheartedly. We do it because we love others. We do it because we know the truth. We do it because of the hope that lies in us. It should be your desire, your joy, your delight to tell others what Christ did in you and for them. The gospel, it should exude from you, almost dif be difficult to contain inside of you, like you would burst if you tried to keep it to yourself. So preach the gospel boldly. And what an example we had of this just last weekend in these very services here. Person after person, witness after witness expressed the work that Christ had done in their life as they preached the gospel boldly. In fact, just in a second here, check out this excerpt from Lindsay's witness last week as she recounted the time during a backyard Bible club when she heard the gospel preached, she believed and called out to the Lord. Check this out. 
So it was great. She preached the gospel to us, um, and what she said is that Jesus died for our sins. Um, the Bible says we are all sinners. We are all falling short of the glory of God. Um, we are in need of a savior. Um, the Bible also says that the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Um, I, th I think Rob said preach, yes. and this preach. is exactly what you are doing. Yep. Preach. Not done. So. Okay. <laughs> So, um, since we are all sinners um, and we are um, entitled to death, um, we all need to be saved by grace through faith. A couple things I've learned. Um, I've learned that the things of this world will never satisfy. Um, we can go on and on looking for something to bring meaning in our lives, and there is nothing of this world that can do that. Um, I've learned that um, God is faithful. If we are studying and putting time into um, reading his word, he will reveal himself and his truths. Um, we can live on those truths forever. Preach the gospel boldly, and you're not done. You'll never be done. It's one of the great ways that God uses us to reach those who are lost. And time is of the essence. Listen, you don't have to be all weird about it. Simply tell others how the Lord worked in your life and continues to work in your life using the authority of Scripture as your guide, just like Lindsay did. Use the power of Scripture to present the truth. Don't use your own words. Don't try that. Let Scripture be the authority, not you, because it is. Scripture gives us the confidence to combat our primary excuse for not preaching the gospel, which is fear. So let's take a minute and briefly address three unwarranted excuses that hold us back from preaching the gospel. The first of which is fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. I mean, this is real. Guys, you know what I'm talking about here. Like the fear of being rejected by that, that perfect girl or her parents. So you never even take the first step. Listen, there's not much in this life that has stronger pain and feelings uh, than that of the pain of rejection. But here's the difference with the gospel. When a person rejects the gospel... They're rejecting Christ. They're rejecting God and his word, not you. You don't have the power to win others to Christ. No, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You are merely the vessel. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 13 and 14 says, God chose you, catch that, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Here it is, through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through sanctification by the spirit. So fear of rejection it's an unwarranted excuse. They're not rejecting you. Secondly, fear of persecution. 
This one's real as well. I mean, maybe you're worried uh, that a friend or a coworker or, or whomever it, will, it is will treat you differently as you share the gospel. Maybe they'll make fun of you or harass you or punish you, whatever that fear is. I'm not here to say that won't happen. In fact, you can expect that to happen. In John 15, 20, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You can expect that persecution, but don't let that prevent you from preaching. Matthew 5, 10 to 12, Jesus says, blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, you will be persecuted here on earth, but your reward, <laughs> oh, it will be so great in heaven. So be blessed and know that fear of persecution, it's an unwarranted excuse. Thirdly, fear of inadequacy. Sometimes we sit on the gospel because we feel like we just don't know enough that we have inadequate knowledge. We tell ourselves, uh, let me just wait a little bit longer until I know just a little bit more. No, listen, listen. That's like a married couple waiting to have a baby until you feel like you're ready. You'll never feel like you're ready. You'll never feel like you're in the financial state that you should be in or you have that perfect family car or family house or whatever it is. Listen, you won't know all the things about parenting until you actually parent. And that's even questionable at that point too. <laughs> it's okay that you don't know everything, especially when it comes to sharing the gospel. You don't have to know everything in the Bible before you open your mouth. I'm still learning. I don't know everything in the Bible. I'm still learning, but I do know how the Lord drew me to him and saved me from the consequences of my sin. And I can share that with others. And so can you. In fact, we're in good company feeling a little bit inadequate. Even the apostle Paul felt inadequate. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 on the screen. Paul writes, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or, or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Listen, Paul didn't have everything together. And in these verses we just read, he literally said that he didn't know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all you need to know. You don't have to know how to define these big theological concepts like sanctification, the hypostatic union, ex nihilo, atonement, soteriology, eschatology, 
But wait, we know a little bit about eschatology. Thanks again, Pastor Rob. If you wait until you feel like you know everything, then all you'll do is wait. And time is of the essence. So don't sit around and wait until you have everything figured out. And I find it interesting, the longer you wait to share your faith, the more difficult it actually becomes. In fact, the excuse of, I don't know enough, usually comes from someone who says they've been a Christian for a decade or more. It's like they've been sitting around accumulating information for so long that they become spiritually constipated and they just need to let some of that information out. How's that for a word picture this morning? So let go of your fears and trust the Lord because he's with you. He will give you the words to preach the gospel boldly. Let's look back at the text. Verses 15 through 17, Paul writes, as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In verse 13, we learn that we must embrace the gospel wholeheartedly. Then in verses 14 and 15, that we must preach the gospel boldly. And now in these verses, we see that we need to share the gospel faithfully. Share the gospel faithfully so others may hear because time is of the essence. And at the end of verse 15, Paul actually quotes Isaiah 52, verse 7, as a way to honor or bless those who share the gospel faithfully. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, we're going to get a little bit English language nerdy one last time with you this morning. Because Paul uses irony in that statement. Irony being a literary device that relies on the differences between expectation and outcome. It's the juxtaposition of what appears to be true on the surface to what is actually true. Usually used for emphatic effect. And when we think about beautiful feet... We often think of someone who has well-maintained, pedicured feet that are soft and smooth. Maybe they have a job that that doesn't require much standing or walking or or moving in general. They're just happy to get that 1,000 steps in for the day. But Paul implies the opposite. When he wrote Romans, people who preached and shared the gospel They traveled by foot to get from place to place, wearing sandals on dirty roads. It wasn't pleasant. But Paul says those, those people who do that, who travel by foot, wear sandals on dirty roads, have calloused feet, they're the ones who are beautiful. Isn't that ironic? And they're beautiful because they share the gospel faithfully. And there's two aspects of faithfulness that are important to note. First is to share the gospel faithfully and with fervor. 
with fervor. Look at verse 16. Paul says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Here he's reminding us that all who hear the gospel will not believe. In fact, isn't it interesting how Paul articulates it? He says they have not all obeyed the gospel. We don't often think of the gospel as something we need to obey, but it is because it's a command, a command to repent, repent of your sins, a command to believe, believe in Christ, a command to call, call out to God, and a command to follow, follow Christ with your life. And that's why Paul says not, have all, not all have obeyed the gospel. People will reject it. But those who accept and believe in Christ and the gospel, they first need to have heard the gospel. So we need to share the gospel faithfully and with fervor, passionately, eagerly, with zeal, being committed to, to share no matter, no matter if the person with whom you share the gospel fails to obey. Don't let that discourage you. Maintain your fervor, keep sharing so that others may hear because that's how people come to know Christ. Sharing the gospel is the greatest way people come to Christ. Did you hear that? Sharing the gospel is the greatest way people come to Christ. This doesn't mean that they come to Christ because of you. No, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. But sharing the gospel helps create an opening where light can be seen through the darkness. God enlists us for the sacred task of sharing the gospel. He does the powerful work of transforming the heart. So sharing the gospel is the greatest way that people come to Christ. I mean, think about it. How did you come to know Christ? Did someone share that with you? Did you hear it? Did, did someone say something that made you open God's word and read it? Yes. Maybe you heard from a, a friend, a parent, a relative, a pastor, a, a neighbor on TV, a stranger on the street at Sunday school back in the day or a small group leader. No matter how it was, someone shared it with you. And listen. Once you've been saved, oh, there is no greater joy than to share the gospel with someone else. So share the gospel faithfully and with fervor, but don't leave it at that. Secondly, share the gospel faithfully and with urgency. With urgency, because time is of the essence. Look back with me at verse 17. Verse 17, Paul writes... So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We must share the gospel with urgency because faith comes from hearing the word of Christ, the gospel. And we don't know when the Lord is going to put someone right in the middle of the path in front of you who needs to hear the gospel right then and there. So be ready and have urgency. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, which gives us only two times, only two times that we have to be ready, in season and out of season. 
all the time, all the time. Just a couple of uh, verses later in, in, in verse five, Paul says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, here it is, here it is, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Sharing the gospel is evangelism and it's your ministry. When we stand before God one day, who knows, maybe tomorrow, but when we stand before God, none of us will say, I shared about Jesus too much. No, that's silly. That, that doesn't even make sense. So share the gospel with urgency right now because time is of the essence. And an aspect of urgency that's important to note is that urgency equals activity not passivity. Let that sink in for a minute. Urgency equals activity, not passivity. Urgency means you have to actively open your mouth, speak, tell others about Christ, go somewhere to your neighbor's house, a family member, make a phone call, get on a Zoom, get involved with our church right here and now, or one of our local partners. Partners, Urgency equals activity. It requires a little bit of sacrifice, putting yourself out there, being a little bit uncomfortable, yet you will experience Oh, so much great joy. But check this out. Urgency does not equal passivity. As in, I'm just going to sit back here and let other people see Christ in me. I'm a lifestyle evangelist. Listen. If you don't open your mouth, you're being vague at best. No one really knows why you make the decisions you make, why you do the things you do. Maybe they think, well, he's a, he's a nice guy. She's a nice lady. They have good morals. But listen, good morals don't cut it. The truth is, your passivity prevents others from hearing the message of Christ. So get off the couch of passivity and get involved. And we want to help you become actively engaged in sharing the gospel faithfully. We want to be a part of that. We want to help you and encourage you. In fact, Luke Jewell, our outreach director, he's going to be in the lobby uh, after service. And it's one of his greatest desires to help you actively share your faith, both locally and globally. So go see him and get started. You're not on your own on this. Our mission as pastors is to equip you for the work of ministry. So stop making excuses and get involved with ministry. And after you've been involved for a bit, you'll take a step back and you'll say, I had a front row seat in that changed life in her changed life, in that restored marriage, seeing the salvation of that child, that adult, 
that neighbor, that refugee, that stranger in the coffee shop, that Uber driver, waitress, or coworker. I had a front row seat in that, and there is no greater joy than seeing a transformed life because of Christ, saved from eternal judgment and eternal pain, eternal suffering, eternal torment, eternal separation from God, because you opened your mouth and they heard the truth of the gospel, the truth of salvation, the work of Christ for you and for me, for all who would believe, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So for our closing prayer this morning, I want everyone to stand to your feet right now. Go ahead, let's stand up right now. Let's stand and worship the Lord as our closing prayer, starting right here, right now in this very room. Let's proclaim our belief to him that he is God. He is God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that you believe in him in the name of Jesus because he died and rose again. Let this be our closing prayer today, standing on your beautiful feet, embracing the gospel wholeheartedly, preaching the gospel boldly, and sharing the gospel faithfully with much fervor and urgency because Christ is Lord this I believe